You're listening to Bible Truth Feed, a podcast by Christadelphianvideo.org for Christadelphians and all those seeking the truth about the Bible message. Join us now as we present our latest episode. The Christian and War Hello and welcome to Bible Truth Feed, a podcast by ChristadelphianVideo.org. The teaching of the Lord Jesus is very clear. Christians do not defend political systems of government of this world. Jesus prevented Peter using physical violence to defend him. He taught passive resistance to promote peace, which opposes the nationalistic approach. Our subject today is understandably a highly emotive one, because when we look at the background and the history of mankind over the millennia uh, and the wars which have been fought, then those times of war have seen, haven't they, the very worst of human nature being displayed, of cruelty, of wickedness, of violence, mankind towards mankind. There's been great humanitarian disasters, great suffering and great sadness, which has come about as a result of war and its terrors. And yet also in those times, there are examples of people who have shown selflessness in actions which they feel are for a greater cause than just themselves. So there are examples of people who have shown a self-sacrifice as well in those instances. So it's a very polarizing subject, of course. And of course, for those people who know and love people who have been involved in war and the sacrifices that entails, again, it's something which they obviously are going to feel quite passionately and strongly about. We've had this week in the United Kingdom, haven't we? Uh, a period of time where people in the United Kingdom remember those who have lost their lives, those men and women who've lost their lives in times of war. And these are times which are often remembered in, in large um, religious services amongst many of the Orthodox um, religions within the United Kingdom. A time where Orthodox uh, religions spend time to meditate upon those who have sacrificed their lives. Uh, in service of the country, the United Kingdom. Our, our purpose today really is to spend time to consider what the teaching of the Bible is on these things. What was Jesus' teachings about his followers and their approach to war? What did he advise them and on how they should act concerning war? Uh, and this question really is something which brings about other questions. Firstly, is it right for a Christian to go to war? And perhaps we could reframe that with the words, well, which, which state, organisation or people would it be appropriate for a Christian to fight for? That's something for us to, to meditate upon. Uh, we could also ask the question, is it acceptable for a Christian to go to war for a, for a just or a worthy cause? Would that be uh, justifiable then for a Christian to go to war for those reasons? We could ask the, the question, well, was Jesus teaching that his followers should be pacifists? We could also ask the question, is it okay to fight uh, a war for a country uh, so long as it's for the country of your nationality? Would that be a justifiable reason to fight a war? Um, we're also going to have a look today at what John the Baptist's teachings were to, um, to the followers of Jesus and, and those people who sought to, to follow uh, the truth of the Bible. Um, what was his teachings to, to soldiers and their actions and their organisations? 
Now also then we're going to have a look at, are there any battles that a Christian should fight? Uh, are there sort of things which a Christian should battle in their lives? So firstly to that question, is it right for a Christian to go to war? Uh, and just to reframe it, as we mentioned, we're going to ask that question, which state would it be uh, appropriate for a Christian to fight for? Whilst we think on that, I'm just going to read from the book of John, chapter 18 and verse 36, because this is a passage um, um, which speaks of the Lord Jesus Christ and his trial before Pontius Pilate, who was the Roman governor. And it talks about the way in which Pontius Pilate was trying to work out why the Jewish authorities and the Jewish religious leaders wanted to crucify the Lord Jesus Christ. What was it about Jesus which they hated so much? What was it which made him worthy of death? Uh, and Pilate's trying to get to the bottom of these things. And Jesus, when he's speaking to, to Pilate, tells him, Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. So he's telling Pilate, I'm not looking to overthrow the Roman authorities here or now. My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. What did Jesus mean by those things? My kingdom is not of this world. Well, when we look at um, the, the life of Abraham, who was the father of the Jewish people, um, he was described as a stranger and a pilgrim. He didn't have a country or nationality in that sense. He, he moved around in tents. He, he didn't have a home as such there in that way. And that's how the Bible describes the followers of Jesus. They are strangers. They're not nationalistic in that way. Uh, they don't have a, a patronage to a country. Uh, and in the book of Hebrews, chapter 13, and verse 12, it says, here we have no continuing city. Elsewhere, it talks about how the citizenship is of heaven. Well, what does that mean, having citizenship of heaven? Well, really, what I think it's saying is that the follower of Jesus does not allege or um, idolize or actually serve a way of thinking which is allotted to a specific country. Rather, the, the citizenship, the, the thinking, the, the ideals of a Christian is based upon those things which are heavenly, those things which are based upon godly principles. Uh, and so that's a lesson which I think we have really coming through these things, that Christians are not nationalistic in that way. They do not um, hold nationalistic ideals in that way. Rather, their service is towards God and the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, rather than to a country in that way. And so we go on to the question then, well, is it acceptable for a Christian to go to war for a just cause or a worthy cause? Would that be a good reason for a Christian to go to war? And it's very understandable, isn't it, when we think about those things. You can think about the terrible regimes which have existed in the world. You think about the, the Second World War and uh, the way in which um, the Allied troops fought against Nazi Germany. Actually, that was a terrible, terrible system, a world system, a terrible thing. Surely would it not be right for a Christian to fight against those things? Well, just to um, base our understanding really in terms of what the Bible says, let's consider firstly God's approach to world affairs. Let's ask the question, does God only allow nice people to rule over nations? The Bible talks about God's power and God's might. Is it that God only allows nice people to rule over nations? And we know that's not. You can think of the dictators uh, and the, the horrendous people who have, who have ruled over countries and nations and empires. And clearly, these are not nice, moral, righteous people. These are people often who have been very wicked in their doings. And is it true to say that God only allows good or influential countries to be uh, powerful? 
Well, no, again, there are nations in the world who had great power, who have been inhumane and immoral in their, in their actual philosophies and ideals. So that's not the basis upon which uh, God is, is ruling the kingdoms of men, if you like, or allowing these things to take place. The Bible talks about a man called Nebuchadnezzar, who was the king of Babylon. Now, Babylon had just invaded the, the nation of Israel, God's chosen people, and taken many of them into captivity in the land of Babylon. And Nebuchadnezzar had come into contact with some of uh, the, the Jewish people who had spoken to him of God's power, uh, the God of Israel, and taught him some things. The man Daniel himself had spoken to Nebuchadnezzar, and Nebuchadnezzar had been very impressed uh, by his teachings and those things which he spoke. But Nebuchadnezzar was a man who seemed to have great delusions of grandeur. He was incredibly puffed up and proud. You can think about the, the rulers of the nation of the world, and you can think about people who perhaps have been puffed up and proud and bombastic in, in their ways. And certainly Nebuchadnezzar seemed like such a, such a character that it was very much all about him, and he was very proud about all that he had done. And we see in the book of Daniel how that God humbled Nebuchadnezzar. He showed him that it wasn't by his own power or his own might that these things had come about, but because God had allowed him to have that position of power, because it was part of his purpose. Here's a, a passage from Daniel 4 and verse 17, reading from the modern English version. It says there, In order that the living may know that the Most High rules over the kingdom of men and gives it to whomsoever he wills and sets over it the basest of men. And isn't that true when we think about the world which we look around? There are many people who are immoral, who are uh, puffed up, who are proud, uh, who are bombastic perhaps in their, in their attitude and their way of life. But God has allowed the basest of men to be put in positions of power to bring about his purpose. So it's a bigger thing, isn't it, than just a simple um, message of good versus evil always. God's plan is more complex than that. It's something, ultimately, we know that good will triumph in those things. But God is using the, the people and the kingdoms of this world to bring about his purpose, ultimately. Just in that vein, let's have a look at Matthew chapter 26, because this is a passage which talks about the way in which the Lord Jesus Christ was taken by the Jewish authorities at the time, uh, the, the priests uh, and the, the, the leading uh, Jewish figures, if you like, took Jesus to crucify him, to put him to death. And they were led to Jesus whilst he was in the Garden of Gethsemane by Judas Iscariot, one of Jesus' disciples, who betrayed him. And in Matthew 26, we have this record then of the way in which they took Jesus. It says there in verse 47 of, Acts, of Matthew 26, so Matthew 26, and reading from verse 27, or 47, sorry, it says there, while Jesus was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a great crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priest and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, The one I will kiss is the man, seize him. And he came up to Jesus at once and said, Greetings, Rabbi. And he kissed him. Jesus said to him, Friend, do what you came to do. Then they came up, laid hands on Jesus and seized him. And behold, one of those who was with Jesus stretched out his hand. And we know from the, the Gospel of John record that was one of the disciples, Peter, who, who stretched out his hand and he drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Then Peter said to him, put your sword back in its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you think that I, came, I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once send more than 12 legions of angels? 
But how then should the scriptures be fulfilled that it must be so? So if there was ever a man who was good and righteous, who had a good cause, a just cause, then Jesus is it. He was the, the most lovely man who ever lived. He was sinless. He was peaceable. He was loving. And yet these wicked men came to crucify him, to put him to death without a cause. Surely it would be a good cause to stand up for this righteous and good man. And we see, don't we, how Peter took his sword. He obviously felt so emotionally um, committed to these things. He obviously loved the Lord Jesus Christ and, and cared for him as this is Messiah and Master. And, and he clearly was very moved when he saw Jesus being taken um, by the high priest's servant in this instance. And he took his sword and he cut off his ear. But Jesus' response was, those who take the sword shall die by the sword. It wasn't right that Peter should do those things, even though it was a, perhaps a just cause, if you like. It wasn't because Peter didn't understand God's ultimate purpose. Here, the Lord Jesus Christ had to be taken, uh, that he might be a sacrifice for mankind. It was about the bigger picture. Even though these are wicked men doing wicked things, then it had to be that these things were allowed to take place. And Jesus says that, doesn't he, in verse 54, but how then should the scriptures be fulfilled that it must be so? And I think that's a message to us, isn't it, really? That we might think we're doing things for a good reason. We might think that we're fighting against an immoral or an unrighteous system by doing certain things. But Jesus' message is actually, you know, God's purpose is bigger than those things. We can't stand, stand in the way of, of God's purpose in that way. Rather, we should... Um, act in a way which is accepting of the circumstance around us. So should all Christians be pacifists? That next question we went on to. And it's clear when we look at the teaching of Jesus that he taught a higher level of life, a challenging level for all of us as individuals. If you want to be a follower of Jesus, then it's a higher calling. It's something which is really challenging, which is really not easy, and which we as individuals will and do fail in. Uh, as, as followers of Jesus. Let's all look at Jesus' teaching on the Mount of Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5, where he talks about discipleship and the way of life which he called his followers to. Matthew chapter 5, the, the first book of the, the New Testament, Matthew, and chapter 5, and reading from verse 38. This was Jesus' message to those who would want to be followers of him. You have heard it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. It's a very submissive um, and powerful way of life, isn't it? To actually be willing to endure suffering by those people who are wronging wrongly as well. And it goes on in verse 43. And you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbours and hate your enemies. But I say to you, love your enemies. And pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be the sons of the Father who is in heaven. Wow, what amazing verse. Isn't it? Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Pray for those who persecute you. What a high calling Jesus called his disciples to. It's not an easy calling, is it? But it's such a lovely and wonderful message. This is how peace is going to come about, isn't it? Not through stirring up more war and more strife, but rather a loving message of his followers to love those people around them, to do good to those people, even when they did wrong to them. So a really powerful message. I would caveat that by saying that when we look through the Bible, though, 
there are lots of examples of men of God, particularly in the Old Testament, who did fight battles. So I would not say that uh, Christians are strictly pacifists in that sense, but rather Jesus' calling to his followers was one of peace and of love and good to all men, even those people who are evil and, and bad to them. So the next question then, is it okay to fight a war so long as it's for the country of your nationality? We've already touched on that, haven't we? Uh, the disciples of Jesus were to be strangers and pilgrims. And we can ask the question, what is a good country as well? I mean, some people might be born in Britain, some people might be born in Germany, some people might be born in Russia, some people might be born in North Korea. The country of birth, it doesn't sort of uh, necessarily mean that it's a good and a righteous country. Uh, and again, sort of many people might have grown up in a country which is malign uh, and uh, built on um, crooked principles. And the teaching of the Bible is very much that the, the kingdoms of men, the nations of this world, they are built on things, uh, on principles which aren't necessarily godlike or godly. So that's definitely something for us to bear in mind as followers of the Lord Jesus. Let's have a look at Acts 17, verse 26, and just read that. It says there, and he has made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted period by periods and boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way towards him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each of us. So it's gorgeous verses there, which talk about the way in which God has set up the boundaries of the world. You know, it's ultimately in God's hand and God's power. Uh, the borders and the boundaries of the kingdoms of the world. Those things are in his power. But the message of these verses really is that every nation of mankind, they've been given this opportunity that they should seek God, that they, they should come to him. It's not about its nationalistic further. We're all one people. We're all sons of Adam in that way. He's given all of us uh, as human beings this hope uh, to be called to a, a special calling. Uh, yeah, he is not far from each of us. So uh, really powerful when it talks about it, just that, that, you know, we shouldn't be nationalistic in that way, but we should seek to love our fellow man uh, the best we can. What was John the Baptist's teachings then to, to his followers on the approach uh, of people to military organisations? Well, we look at uh, Luke chapter 3 and his teachings there. Um, I haven't got the verse up there, but it's in Luke chapter 3. Um, perhaps you can have a, have a look at it later on, uh, where he talks to some soldiers. Uh, these are people who are coming to listen to the message which John the, the Baptist taught. And he said to the soldiers, and soldiers likewise demand of him saying, what should we do? And he, as John the Baptist says to them, do violence to no man. So that was the teaching of John the Baptist to his followers and to those people who would be Jesus' followers, that they should do violence to no man. Now, again, when you think about military organizations, then you can think that many people do some really good acts and really good service um, through military organizations. You can think at the moment with the coronavirus, how that the military has been involved with um, testing for the virus uh, and being involved in supporting people and those things. So you can see that very often military organizations do things which try to help people. But how many soldiers do you think really could honestly say that they have not been trained to do violence to any man? The nature of being in the military is that people end up doing great violence to other men. It's really impossible, isn't it, to be a soldier 
and not to do violence to anyone. That's the, that's the challenge which, which they face. And, and John the Baptist's message was to do harm to no man, to do violence to nobody. So going on then, are there any battles that a Christian should fight? Uh, and that's something which is certainly spoken about in the Bible. It, the, the Bible talks about the, the, the challenge which we face as human beings and followers of the Lord Jesus Christ in terms of a battle against sin. It's a war against sin which we face in our lives. This is the book of James, chapter 4, verse 1, which says, From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence, even of your lusts, that war in your members? You lust and have not. You kill and desire to have and cannot attain. You fight and war, yet you have not because you have asked not. Ye ask and receive not because ye ask amiss, and that ye may consume it upon your lusts. So what it's really saying is that human nature is something which wars uh, against the things of God. It's a battle. Uh, and certainly when we look at um, the life of a disciple, the, the life of a follower of Jesus, then they're encouraged to uh, put on uh, garments, if you like, of somebody who fights. Just let's have a look at Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 14, which talks about a, a warfare which is fought by the, the follower of the Lord Jesus Christ in their lives. Let's have a look at Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 14. Just to close then, I'm going to look at Ephesians 6 and verse 14, where it talks about the warfare, the spiritual warfare of the Lord Jesus Christ and how that they can do this battle against sin and how that they can, can fight sin in their lives. And really what it's talking about is living a, a way of life in which that the follower of Jesus spends time reading God's word and using God's word as a defense uh, to strengthen them and also to spend time thinking upon their faith also. Let's have a look at Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 14. And it says then, Ephesians 6 and verse 14, Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. So just as a, a soldier would put on a breastplate or armour, then we are encouraged to put on the breastplate of righteousness. We're encouraged to put on the, the garments of a warrior, if you like, by putting on the breastplate of righteousness. And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. So as shoes, they were to wear the gospel of peace. God's good message, the good hope of the gospel. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. It's talking about how we, we should use faith or our belief or our strength as a shield against, against sin, against this, this concept of sin. And verse 17, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit or the word of God which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication to the end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplications for the saints. So that's the warfare that a Christian is encouraged to fight. It's not a, a war against other nations. It's not a battle uh, towards one's fellow man. It's actually a battle within ourselves, the battle which each and every one of us face in fighting against sin. And the only way which we can overcome that is by trust in God, in his word, and having faith, uh, and using prayer, and focusing on, on the, the, the victory which the Lord Jesus Christ gained uh, over sin and death in his life, and trusting in God's grace and mercy towards us, 
that we might have a hope of life. Thank you for joining us. We hope you found the episode helpful. Don't forget, most of these episodes are also available as videos on our video channel, cdvideo.org. So head over and take a look. If you have any comments or questions or suggestions, please get in touch or leave us a voice message. We love to hear your feedback. You can email us at bt f at cdvideo.org. If you enjoyed the episode, then please share it with others. Until next time, may God bless you in your studies and your walk towards God's kingdom. Amen.